Good morning. You have your Bible. Open up to Psalm 56 and 57. This morning we're going to be covering two Psalms. I'll explain a little bit more why as we get into unpacking them. But before I do that, uh, let me start by telling you uh, about a man by the name of Fred Korematsu. One of the things that sets America apart from many other countries is our written constitution. And this written constitution gives Americans certain rights, certain promises, liberties, um, And when these rights and these liberties are violated, the Constitution gives every American an avenue to challenge the government. And those who are in authority that that have violated our rights in some way. Our system, of course, is administered uh, by sinful men. So, therefore, it is very far from perfect And let me give you an example of what that looks like when it's imperfect. Imagine the year is 1942. You're a 23-year-old. And your name is Fred Korematsu. And like like many 23-year-olds, you're in love. And so you set up this time to go meet with your girlfriend. And you go uh, in California, downtown to the city. And you're standing on the corner. And you're waiting on her to show up. And all of a sudden, you're approached by two police officers. And they begin talking to you and asking to see your identification. And before you can even get your identification out, two military police show up. And they take you back to the police station and they have you arrested and put into jail for standing on a corner. Your only crime is your last name. Your, your only crime is where your family is from. Pearl Harbor was attacked the year before in 1941. And Americans are terrified that every person of Japanese descent is a Japanese spy. And the government and the military solution for this was to round up every Japanese citizen and every uh, American citizen of Japanese descent and lock them in a prison camp. These camps were converted spaces that were used for various things before the war. One such camp was a former racetrack in which Japanese families would be placed into a horse stall with a dirt floor and told, this is where you will live indefinitely. The prison camps would hold Countless numbers of Japanese American citizens, citizens that have rights according to the Constitution. But Fred Korematsu didn't believe that he had done anything wrong. And when he was contacted by an attorney while he was in jail, he agreed to sue the government for a violation of his rights. The lawyer and Fred met with the judge, and the judge set bail, which the lawyer took out his own checkbook. And posted bail right there, much to Fred's surprise because he didn't have the money. 
And Fred could hardly believe it, that he was going to be free. The, the system worked. But as they were heading out of the courtroom, they're greeted on the outside by the military police. And the lawyer said, but we just posted bail. Like, we're good. We're going to trial. Everything is good. This was the judge's orders. And they said, well, our orders supersede the judge's orders. So the lawyer advises Fred, go with the military police. And Fred, like so many others, was given a dirt floor horse stall to live in while he waited for his lawyer to try his case. To add insult to injury, because Fred agreed to sue the government for a violation of his rights, many Japanese Americans in the camps turned their back on him. Remember, Japanese culture, very honor-shame. And in their mind, what you're doing is shameful. The honorable thing would be to go to prison and not say anything and just take it. Even his own family turned their back. His grandfather said, I am disgusted with you. His brothers didn't even support him. Because they feared this case would lead to them getting sent back to Japan or something even worse. So Fred went it alone. Because Fred believed in the promises of the Constitution. He believed that those words that were written down, that he had certain inalienable rights. And that what was happening to him was unjust and unfair and that the Constitution would prove it. Fred's case made it. All the way to the Supreme Court. Took two years. Fred just knew once he got to the Supreme Court, they heard his case, he would be vindicated. Unfortunately, the government and the military had conspired. They gave false evidence in previous federal court cases. Military intelligence withheld vital information that would have helped Fred's case. And so based on the evidence the Supreme Court had, they ruled in favor of the government and convicted Fred on all the charges against him. So not only is he in an intern camp, prison camp, he's also now a convicted criminal in a prison camp. Fred remained imprisoned there until the end of the war, like so many other Japanese Americans. Despite All of the injustice and all the ways in which the government lied, Fred never gave up believing in our country and its system of justice. He never gave up believing in the promises of the Constitution to every citizen. He never lost hope. And because of his court case, the realities of what happened in those Japanese internment camps that the government surely would have loved to cover up and hide came to light. Fred believed that citizens could make a difference and that collectively they can right a wrong. Even though he lost, he believed that he should that we should stand up for what is right and not be afraid to speak up. Now much like Fred in these two psalms before us this morning, we find David in trouble because of evil men. And like Fred, we find David clinging to promises made to him. Instead of the words of a constitution, he has the words of God that he is clinging to. And this week we're going to be covering two psalms. Because again, this this is kind of, you're going to see this is 
same song, second verse, right? We sing a lot of songs here and there's verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four, but it's all one song. And there's some things that tie these two Psalms together to help us to kind of see that this is verse one and verse two of the same song. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to break these two Psalms down into three sections this morning to just kind of help us navigate through all of this text. The first, you're going to see a pouring out of your heart to God in verses or 56 verses one through six, and then in 57 verses one through four. Then you're going to see declaring your trust in God's justice, right? Fred was trusting in American justice, but we're going to see David trusting in God's justice. You'll see that in 56 verses seven through nine and 57 verses five through six. And then praising God and giving thanks to him in verses in 56, 10 through 13 and 57, seven through 11. So pouring out your heart to God, declaring your trust in God's justice and praising God and giving thanks to him. That's going to be our outline this morning as we look at these two Psalms. So first pouring out your heart to God. These two Psalms share many things in common, not only just in the outline and the layout of the two Psalms, but they also share verse one is the exact same opening phrase in the Hebrew. Our English Bibles, unfortunately though, render it slightly different in in Psalm 56 and Psalm 57. And that's unfortunate because it disguises the connection between these two Psalms. Again, it would be helpful for us this morning to think about this as verse 1 and verse 2 instead of two separate and distinct psalms. The repetition of, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, in Psalm 57 shows an intensification by David. In the first psalm, it's just, be gracious to me, O God. But by 57, it's, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me. There's there's an elevation of intensification because of the repetition that David is trying to share. We we do the same thing in songs all the time, right? We, We repeat the same things over and over. And what that does is it shows an intensification of our longing, our desire, our hopes, our dreams. To be connected to the living God of the Bible. The second thing these Psalms have in common is that David, again, is being persecuted. In Psalm 56, verses 1b through 2, it's, For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Again, you see that repetition that David is using here in this Psalm. In 57.4, he says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. But one difference we see between these two psalms, according to the superscriptions that we have, is that in the first psalm, David is suffering from poor decisions that led him into trouble. And in the second, we see it was Saul seeking to kill him that led him to being in trouble. So in the first one, David is on the run from Saul and he has this idea, I'm going to go to Gath. I'm going to get away from Saul and hide with Saul's enemies, right? This is Goliath's people. (laughs) Maybe not the smartest place to hide, right? You, You killed our champion, 
Right? And David's like, well, Saul will never think to look there for me. <laughs> yeah, but they're not real happy with you either, dude. <laughs> so, so they're at first, they're like, oh, it's the champion. Let, let's take him in and get him away from the border. And now we're going to attack him, right? Like, it's, it's David making a, a silly decision, right? In the second psalm, it's, it's Saul seeking to kill David that led him to being in trouble. And this morning, no matter what kind of trouble you're facing whether it's a trouble of your own making or a trouble of other people's making in your life, David wants you to see in this, these two songs that the answer is the same. First, pour out your heart to God in prayer. Second, we are to boldly make our requests known to him. We see that in verses 7 through 9 and of 56 and 5 through 6 and 57. I want you to look at, at Psalm 56, verse 5. David elaborates on his circumstances. And it's interesting how there's a connection between verses 4 and 5 that, again, unfortunately gets obscured a little bit in the ESV, uh, but not so much in the NASB, if you happen to have that this morning. If you look at, at this verse in verse 5, all day long, that repeats language from verses 1 and 2. And when they render this, they injure my cause. But there should be a little footnote there in your Bible. Um, and if you have that footnote, the footnote will say another translation of that. Another way to say that is they twist my words. And I believe this is a better rendering of the Hebrew there. And what's, what's being trying, trying to be conveyed. And then when you look at the, the juxtaposition between verses four and five in God, whose words or voice I praise while these people are twisting the words of David. The, the things that David is saying, they're trying to use those words against him. They're, they're trying to twist them. In other words, they're misrepresenting what he's saying. And yet David is saying, my confidence is in God's word. What's, what's God's word to David at this point? I know it's sometimes we, we read the Bible and we forget that David didn't have a Bible, <laughs> right? So our, our assumption is, oh, David's talking about the Bible. No, what David is talking about is the promise that was made to him by God that he would be king. That's the confidence. That's what he's holding on to. Those are the words that David is holding on to, right? Because you can't be a king if you're dead. Make sense? Follow the logic? And, and David's holding on to that and he's saying, look, I'm trusting in God's word to me through the prophet that said, I am the next king. So I can't die here. He's clinging to God's word in this moment. You can twist my words, David says. You, you can attack me and, and, and try to use the words that I say against me, but my confidence isn't in my words. My confidence is in God's words, his promises for me in my life. God had told David he would be the next king. And David is trusting in what God had told him when he anointed him. And like David, we are to declare our trust in God's promises to our life. And one of the ways that we do that is the second kind of section of our 
two psalms this morning declaring our trust in God's justice. God, God has made very clear promises to us as believers about his justice. And, and David is, is trusting in that justice. Verse 7 is kind of the central statement of Psalm 56. This is the, the main thrust of that psalm. David says, for their crime will they escape. For their crime, are they, are they going to get away with this? David's asking. So, so the focus here in this verse is in wrath, cast down the people, O God. Now, this is what's known as an imprecatory prayer. And imprecatory prayers are ones for judgment to be brought down upon David's enemies. And, and David here is, is praying for his enemies' downfall. So why would David pray for the judgment on his enemies? Because his salvation is going to come through their judgment. That's why. Because when they're crushed, David is delivered. Make sense? So this isn't about David saying, hey, do this for me because I want to be king no, this is David saying, God, you have said I will be king. The only way I can become king is if these people are judged justly. And through their justice will come salvation. This is something we miss so much in our culture because we don't want to talk about justice. We just want everybody to be fine and okay. And let's just talk about the happy part of salvation. But folks, this morning, salvation comes through justice. Jesus took that justice upon himself. The, the wickedness, the sin was put upon him, poured out all the wrath of God's justice. was poured out on his son so that you can have salvation. Yes, that's... That's happy and glorious news, but never forget that that salvation came because of justice. And David is reminding us here with his enemies that, that for salvation to come for me, there has to be a justice to my enemies. David trusts that God has promised to him that he's going to be king of Israel. And he's saying, Lord, do it. <laughs> Bring it about now. Notice what David says in Psalm 57.3. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. There it is again, this theme of salvation through judgment. And then he says at the end of verse 3, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness, his said. Now, notice what he says in verses 8 and 9 of 56. Because of all this misrepresentation and persecution of David that we see in verses 5 and 6, all the pain that that causes him is now recounted in verses 8 and 9. And he says to the Lord, you have kept count of my tossings. In other words, David is saying, Lord, you know everything I have been through. And then he gives the Lord a command in the next line. Put my tears in your bottle. This is like David, like David is saying, God, don't forget a single 
tear that I have cried because of my persecution. Because of my suffering. Because I have been misrepresented. Do not forget a single tear that I've cried. Keep track of all of it. And then he asks rhetorically at the end of that verse, verse 8, are they not in your book? Are, are my tears, my, my pains, my wanderings, my tossings, are they not all recorded with you? What, what David is saying is, Lord, I am confident that you are concerned about me. And that you are aware of all of my pain and discomfort. This morning, this is a good reminder for us this morning. That that we don't just serve some God who's sitting up there in heaven, ruling over everything, who doesn't care about his people. No, we serve a very personal God who has recorded every slight against us. Every persecution, every word, every judgment made against us are written in our books. God is keeping an account of every single thing because he cares for you. Why can David have this kind of confidence that God is doing that? Look at Psalm 57, 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David knows that God will show himself to be most high. God will exalt himself. And God will show that there is no force of evil in heaven or in earth that can ever overcome him. And when God delivers David, all of God's enemies and all of David's enemies will be put down. The God of the Bible will be regarded as superior to all of them. And that's what David is praying for in these two Psalms. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens by delivering me. That's what David is getting at when he says, let your glory be over all the earth. Notice finally in, that, in, in uh, this section, verse 6 of Psalm 57, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Notice here the the, the boomerang effect of sin. Every single day, there are people actively trying to trap believers. There's probably people in your life right now plotting against you. To to try to make you look bad. To try to bring you down in some form or fashion. Now don't get me wrong. Like David, sometimes we do it ourselves. It ain't all about other people trying to trip us up. We're pretty good at jumping into pits ourselves, okay? But sometimes there is also people trying to set a trap for us. They're trying to see what are are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to respond? To this, And David prays that those who lay these traps would fall into them themselves. I think one of the best pictures of this boomerang effect can be found in the book of Esther. There you'll read about a man 
named Haman who sought to kill the Jews and specifically a man named Mordecai. And he sought to have him hung on the gallows that he constructed, right? So, so Haman wants to have him killed. So his wife's great advice, careful listening to your wife sometimes, men, build some gallows for him. His wife may have had an ulterior motive, but build, build some gallows and hang the man. But in an interesting twist of God's providence, it was he who ended up hanging on those gallows. The trap that he had set for Mordecai, he found himself falling into or hanging from. If you've never read the book of Esther, give it, give it a read. It's a great short little book in the, in the Old Testament and see how Haman um, fell into that pit that he dug for himself. David gives us an example of how we should pray for those who wish to entrap us by asking, Lord, have them fall into the pits that they are digging for us. Finally, David ends these two Psalms by praising God. This is the third section, if you're taking notes. Praise God and give thanks to Him. In Psalm 5610, almost word for word, repeats for verse 10, In God... Whose word I praise. In the Lord. Whose word I praise. This is uh, one of the rare instances. To a reference to the Lord. In book two of the Psalms. It doesn't happen often. This is, this is one of those times. And he, he's repeating here. Again bringing emphasis. In, in God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. That, that whose word I praise. This is, this is the third time that he said this in the psalm. The, the repetition, again, is increasing the fervor and the passion of what's being communicated. In God whose words I praise. In the Lord's whose words I praise. And then read verse 11. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you are absolutely terrified? I mean, you, you, you are just scared stiff. And you try to comfort yourself from scripture. I don't know about you, but I don't start reciting chapters of the Bible. I find a verse and I cling on to that verse and I repeat that verse over and over and over and over again until I feel that, that fear beginning to subside. This is, what I think we see David doing here. David is terrified. He's in the midst of Gath with his enemies and he's in a cave and Saul is looking for him. I find myself often like David repeating a simple phrase over and over again to bring myself comfort. Verses like 57, 
10 repeated will bring comfort for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. It's like he's working through the fear that he's feeling as he's repeating these assertions, these promises that he knows about God. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid because David needs to keep saying that to himself because he is afraid. (laughs) He needs to keep saying it because he needs to keep pushing that fear out of his heart and out of his mind. Until he's again confident in the Lord. Main reasons I would encourage you. That if you haven't already began this principle and this practice. Start memorizing scripture now. Not to check a box and say, oh, I'm a good Christian. I memorize scripture. No, I, I want you to think about it like carrying a weapon. I, I want you guys to be concealed carrying the word of God everywhere you go. And the way you do that is memorizing scripture, having the word of God to be able to call back on command in those moments. And listen, sometimes you go, but I'm going to be terrified. I'm going to freak out. My mind's going to go blank. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Your job is to load the gun. Let him pull the trigger. I can't tell you how many times in situations That I quote verses, I have no idea when I put them in there. But in that moment, it's the right verse for that situation that I need to hear or somebody else needs to hear. Because I was faithful and diligent to load the gun. Memorizing scripture is the way we do spiritual battle. Against the fear That this world throws at us. Guys, I don't know if you notice it, but that is the weapon of choice of our generation. Is fear and being able to speak truth to ourselves and to bring ourselves down and go, even if all of these conspiracy theories are true, God is still in control. I don't have to fret. I don't have to run around and get all the money out of the bank and buy a bunch of silver and dig a big hole and put a bunch of food in it. I'm going to trust God instead because God will bring food to me on Raven's wings. If I need it, memorize scripture, have the sword of the spirit ready to pull out whenever you need it. We see David Doing this and telling himself this to to push that fear out of his mind, out of his heart, and recenter himself back where he needs to be centered. This leads to verse 12 where David breaks out in worship because of God's faithfulness. In Psalm 57, 7 through 11, we see what that looks like specifically. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Among the peoples, I will sing praises to you. Among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. There is a day when everybody is going 
to see, verse 11, for themselves. King Jesus is going to come. The God of the Bible will be exalted, indeed, over all of the earth. And the glory of God is going to cover the dry lands, the waters, the seas, from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting. Everyone is going to know God's goodness. Everyone, everyone is going to see God's glory. If the Lord has opened your eyes to his salvation, then you already have eyes to see this. You, you have ears to hear this even now. Before that day comes. The truth or, or the earth and the heavens are flooded with God's loving kindness and truth everywhere you look. If you have eyes to see it. But if your mind has been darkened by this world, all you're going to see is the problems. All you're going to see is the fear and the chaos instead of the beautiful order. I tell people all the time, they go, oh, Dale, my life's falling apart. Or it's all falling together. It's just a matter of your perspective. If you have eyes to see what God is doing, then you know Romans 8, 28 has to be true. That's a promise he's made to you. All Things work together for the glory of God. All things, not some of the things in your life, all of the things in your life work together for your glory and for those who are called according to his purposes. Because David was delivered from both of these situations in 56 and 57, his throne as the king of Israel was established, just as God promised. And God's character and glory spread over all of the earth. One commentator points out that Psalm 57 shows that David clearly understood the connection between God's purposes for him personally and God's intention to make his name great over all of the earth. David is praying for God to exalt himself to king and make his name great, God's name great, throughout the earth by throwing down his enemies and establishing his throne. Jesus, as the Son of God, also understood the connection between God's personal purposes for him and God's glory. And John 12, chapter 12 through 17, I would encourage you to read that this week. Jesus repeatedly asked God to glorify himself. Knowing that his death and resurrection would serve as a means for God to be both just and merciful. And we should pray for God to make his name great in our lives. And, and use us to build his people and to bring him glory. May God be exalted as we serve him, just as David served him as king. So, practically speaking, for us this morning, that, that's asking the Lord. Lord, help me to lead my small group for your glory. Help me to be the best small group leader I can be so that your name 
is glorified. Conversely, if you're not the small group leader, the people in the small group, help me to serve the people in my small group for your glory. Help me to be an example of what it looks like to be a servant and to serve those people that you have put into my life for your glory. Help me to be faithful to my DNA group for your glory. Help me to see the needs of my brothers and sisters in church for your glory. Help help me to be faithful and to pray for the things that I say I'm going to pray for. So that your name may be exalted. Make me faithful to follow up on calling that person back. That looked like they needed to talk on Sunday. For your glory. Give me ears to hear. Make me useful. Make me a good friend and a counselor for your glory. Lord, Lord, do all of these things so that God is exalted above the heavens. That your glory be over all of the earth. Make my witness to people fruitful. Make, make people want to believe in Jesus when I share with them about Jesus and they see the way I live my life. I think this is one of the practical things that we see from these two psalms this morning. A second practical thing that we see I think we can take with us is that reminder that the Lord sees and cares for everything you are going through. One of the biggest lies the enemy likes to use is you're all alone. Now, that lie sometimes sounds like this. Nobody understands me. Nobody's ever going to get everything I've been through. But those are all just different versions of you're all alone. Nobody cares. This morning, these verses remind us, these psalms remind us that God does care. Not only does God care, he sees every little thing. There there is a person that knows you down to the single hairs on your head. Some of you, the single hairs on your head. But he knows you. There's a great statement back at the end of Exodus chapter 2. When the Israelites are groaning and they're, they're moaning because of the slavery and the harsh treatment of the Egyptian. And, and, and Exodus 20 or 2.25 says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. If you're suffering this morning, if you're being persecuted, if you're in a difficult situation because of your own making or because of somebody else's making... I hope you're comforted by this reality this morning. God knows and he has not forgotten. He has not failed to see you. And he will not stop doing justice. Because God knows all the pain of his people. 
we can trust in his words the way David trusted in his words to him. And this is the final point of application for us this morning. Is that we can trust in, in God's words. That the same way that God trusted in, or that David trusted in God's word to him that he would be king. David trusted in God's word. He, he clung to those words. He, he held on to those words. Even when he was in a cave, even when he was surrounded by enemies. He was, he was clinging to those promises that God had made him. Now, none of us this morning have the promise to be the king of Israel. Right? So we're not clinging to that this morning. But man, we have some pretty amazing promises that we can cling to. Things like he who began a good work in us will complete it. Not you will complete it. He will complete it. Things like, so all of us who had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. This is what I was saying earlier about those of us who are believers, our, our, our eyes are, are, should be already open to being able to see what God is doing because of this promise. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. There's nothing Stopping it. <laughs> it will happen. Or, as we see in this psalm, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Fred Korematsu never stopped believing in the promises of the Constitution. And in 1983, he finally had his case reopened. 40 years after his conviction and a government worker was looking through some old documents in Washington, D.C., searching through American citizen records, and he discovered the evidence in a Department of Justice memo that said that they had lied to the Supreme Court. And they drafted a writ of error and were able to reopen the case and because they had the evidence that the DOJ had lied to the court and withheld and even destroyed some evidence, the thing you got to love about the government, even when they do something wrong, they write it down. <laughs> <laughs> November 10th, 1983, Judge Marilyn Patel decided because the government had never taken a position that she was going to make a statement and overturn his conviction. Fred never stopped believing in the promises of the Constitution. As believers this morning, we have eternal promises. Not by our founding fathers, but by our heavenly Father. This morning, like David, I invite you to put your faith in those promises. The promise of eternal life extended to you this morning because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The, the, the justice that was paid through his death on the cross leads by evil men plotting his destruction. They sought that they had laid out the perfect trap for him called the crucifixion. But little did they know that what they meant for evil 
God meant for good. This morning, and like David, 